So it's weird to me that you don't remember that last night after the movie, you got drunk and you started shouting about how this was the best film of the year. And I, I was trying to quiet you down and you just wouldn't you just wouldn't have it. You just kept shouting about it. It's very embarrassing. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this For the Warning podcast. This is review number 427 with our reviews of both The Accountant and The Girl on the Train. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, uh, you probably haven't seen an episode of your feeds for a while because <laughs> we've been gone. But uh, this used to be a weekly film review program. <laughs> right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't exactly know what happened <laughs> in the last month. <laughs> Well, there was, there was, you did some traveling, Carson was going to be gone for a few weeks, like already, uh, pre, pre-known, um, and then <laughs> everything just got super busy, and it, yeah. uh, it just, it's just one of those things where sometimes you just don't put out an episode in a long time. Um, yeah, it, what made it different is usually, like, we'll have a busy weekend, but we go through the motions of being like, all right, so when can we record this week? Blah, blah. And, and I feel like over the last few weeks, we were just like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not, not going to happen. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, we also, I mean, there, there was uh, work got busy and it felt like for... For a steady, like, two weeks, there was a work-related function every single night after work was done. Um, right. In in some form or another. Um, and it was sort of one of those things where it's like, are we going to go see a movie or are we going to go out with the rest of the company and hang out? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I think we prioritized the company. Yeah, I think so. And I don't regret it. But we're back going through the motions again. <laughs> just like <laughs> just like the people want. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah we, we are back. Um, it should return to being a weekly film review program where we dive and debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater to you. Um, and since we're coming back this week, we are going to slam two reviews together for the two films that came out this weekend, uh, The Accountant and The Girl on the Train. Um... Yeah, we can forego the banter that we would have at this point because we kind of already had banter about how we haven't had an episode in a long time. So, Stephen, what do you say we get into the accountant? Let's do it. Right. We're going to take a listen to the trailer for the accountant and then come back and give you a review. Your son is a remarkable young man. He has highly advanced cognitive skills. He has more in common with Einstein or Mozart than he does with us. I'd like to work with your son. Help him develop the skills he'll need to lead a full life. It's not going to happen. The world is not a friendly place, and that's where he needs to learn to live. How did you get into financial consulting? How did you get into... How did you get into... How did you get into financial consulting? My dad was an accountant. You know, he had the whole shtick. The dorky pocket protector. I have a pocket protector. That's a nice one. Do you like puzzles? Tell me what you see. It was taken three years ago by an undercover agent. It's the same person 
He was spotted in Tehran, Tel Aviv, and Naples. This guy risks his life on cooking the books for some of the scariest people on the planet. Drug cartels, arms brokers, money launderers, assassins. Who survives this kind of clientele? Imagine the secrets this guy has. What are you doing here? Who are you? You're different. Sooner or later, different scares people. I have difficulty socializing with other people, even though I want to. There's people looking for you. If their secrets get too big, killing you may be the cost of doing business. If you go down this road, you can't go back. Some of my clients are quite dangerous. Why would your clients follow you? You're an accountant. We have to go to the police. Police can't protect you. So who is he? The accountant. Like a CPA accountant? Not quite. Okay, so that was the trailer for The Accountant. And uh, basically, it's uh, about this guy who's an accountant, but he also is a semi-dangerous man who has been the accountant and been helping to fix books for some very bad people. And uh, over the course of one of his new jobs, somebody else gets sort of in the line of fire, and he has to go all Jason Bourne on a bunch of people and... uh, hopefully make it out uh, alive. Something like that. Uh, Steven, what did you think of this film? Yeah, so uh, so we watched this movie together uh, just two nights ago now. And I th- even during the movie, I could tell there was maybe a, a disconnect between how we were vibing with it. Um, <laughs> we can both agree, I think, that this is a, like, a very kind of pulpy ham-fisted movie right like oh yeah for sure this is not a this is not a slick subtle character study right (laughs) this is a movie where we watch a guy who is you know beautiful mind goodwill hunting levels of insane genius who is also a cold calculated criminal and we do not watch him grappling with his illness or with his life we watch him going full john wick on everybody's asses for about two hours <laughs> yeah and um and i don't so so the the pros at least that i can throw out there i think the the lead actors do a fine job with what they're given i think uh ben affleck takes this character and he really commits to to the role of the uh, the Aspergers. Uh, <laughs> he goes full patient, Aspergers. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but he does, and I think he does it in a way that isn't insulting. It isn't, you know, super hammy. It it is actually it, it is a very kind of pronounced extreme character. But I think he he imagines that that character is real and does a good job with it. Um, and then Anna Kendrick is also great at playing Anna Kendrick and everything. And this is no exception. <laughs> um, so I like that. I like those characters. And and I like that the movie very early on revealed itself to be 
not something you could take seriously <laughs> at all. Like, it, it, this is not a movie that set the tone of we are very brooding and you should take this story ultra seriously. This was a movie that was opening up for hammy acting and hammy dialogue. And that is a positive to me. The negative is, I, I just felt like the the way in which this film was corny, it got old so so quickly to me. Like, like the movie, by my recollection, it basically opens with uh, J.K. Simmons as the kind of hardened investigator uh, talking to a new recruit. And right out of the gate, it's just like, Everyone felt extremely typecast in this movie. The dialogue felt like something no one would ever actually say to other people. Uh, they're basically giving all their exposition out loud. They're, they're the stupidest investigators I've ever seen in terms of like the things they piece together well, well, well after every member of the audience has pieced it together. Hey, there, um, there's another film that we watched this weekend that has even stupider investigators, but we'll get to that later. That's true. There's a lot of dumb investigators to go around. Um, but but yeah, this was just one of those movies where it, it it felt like the joy of this movie was kind of... It's a weird comparison, but it was kind of supposed to be like the joy of a uh, an inside man or of a, uh, I, I don't know, like one, one of those films where the joy is watching a plan unfold or watching layers get peeled back of this very intricate thing that's happening. And you are going to be following investigators and you're going to be following the, the main person behind it. And it didn't necessarily need to be mysterious or serious, but... It was supposed to have the the oh shit factor, right? Of as they dig deeper and deeper, you are supposed to think, wow, what a crazy world this person has concocted. And that never happened for me. Like from the moment the investigation started, it just kind of felt like, all right, I get everything there is to get about this character already. Now I'm going to watch them for two hours, slowly piece together kind of unnecessary details and I don't know. It, it just had a weird, a weird vibe to me where like it wasn't, it wasn't quite cool enough. And it also wasn't entertaining enough to just be, be a great ride. I, I kind of felt frustrated with the screenwriters all the time. And it has maybe one of the worst endings since uh, the Marthas in uh, Batman v Superman. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I get that. It's just a pulpy fun movie. I just feel like it kind of, it failed at everything pulpy fun movies set out to do, and it is held together just barely well enough by an all-around wonderful cast of people. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, you know the disconnect that you described as having was purely on the level of enjoyment we were having watching it. We, we I think we both recognized pretty soon in that this film was not good. Um, but, but I think like, you know, I, I kind of described it as we were walking back from the theater that to me, it feels like the movie got greenlit, which apparently I believe I was reading that this was one of like the, like the most liked scripts from like the, the list of scripts that got passed on like a few years back. Um, but mm -hmm. it felt like somebody picked that book, picked it up, wanted to make the film then realized they had like a snooze clunker on their hands and then just cast it perfectly to elevate it just enough 
to hopefully distract you against the fact that it's not really that interesting. Um, you know, there are there are a few there are a few mysteries happening in this story, and it's not like mysteries from the standpoint of like, oh, I really want to solve this. It's just characters are asking questions that that they want answered, but there's no real reason from the overall narrative why these things need to intersect, right? Like they intersect because they do because the writer was like, well, wouldn't it be great if we just like had these things that were questions that need to be answered? But you never feel like it's a mystery that you care about the ending. Like there was, there was one reveal at the end that you mentioned to me as we were walking back that like, it so didn't matter that I didn't mm-hmm. even like pay attention to it. And I was like, oh yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> but like it, 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 it was one of those things where it's like, it, it, it was so inconsequential that it literally didn't even matter to me once you said it. I was like, oh, oh yeah, duh, obvious. But I just didn't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good summary of the whole movie for me. Yeah. Oh, duh, obvious, but I didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I mean, like I said, though, like I I still enjoyed it to some level. I mean, I, I liked Ben Affleck as this character. I wish the arc the character was going on was better than what it was in this film. Like, you could t- like. I would totally watch a show about this character um, and I would enjoy it. Like if it was just every week this guy was doing some different thing, whatever the computer voice told him to do, I would be Mm -hmm. totally fine watching that show. Um, I just don't know why this story needed to be told for this film um, because it it wasn't really, it wasn't really all that interesting. Um, But Ben Affleck was entertaining to watch, uh, as you mentioned. Anna Kendrick is always entertaining to watch, and like once again, like every time she would just do her thing of being like semi awkward and cute, I would just be like, "Oh God, I love this girl," <laughs> and mm-hmm. it made it so like anytime she was giving lines of dialogue, no matter how cheesy they were, um, no matter what story she was telling, I was I was just like totally along for the ride because it just um, seems not fair. It's not fair that they can have an ace in the hole like that. <laughs> no, it, 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 I mean, oh, I mean, it, it basically, that's the only thing they, they actually put effort into do. I feel it was like finding the right people to play the role to make it seem not as bad as it was. Um, but in the end, it's like, as you were describing this film, um, a few moments ago, and I'm already like, this is how bad the movie is. I'm already forgetting what you were talking about it, but basically, oh yeah, you said it had like one of the worst w- endings of any movie. Um, mm-hmm. And as you were saying those words, I had to try to remember <laughs> what the ending was. Like, oh, trust how... me, I was trying to remember throughout that whole <laughs> description too. I was like, how, first of all, how did it end, and what is he complaining about? I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Now I'm on board. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was. It's a film. It came out. You can watch it. <laughs> Hopefully, you could get some enjoyment from it. But it's. It's definitely, you know, I, I kind of felt like there was going to be, you know, something about the trailer seemed interesting. That song that's playing during the trailer kind of gave it a cool vibe. Like, I I was interested in seeing this film. I was hoping it was going to be halfway decent. Um, and instead it was, you know, like, it, it, it's not it's not as, as sort of, like, cheesy and tongue-in-cheek as, like, a Jack Reacher film is. Um, it's not quite bad enough to be, like, one of the other Bourne films that wasn't the most recent Bourne film. And, um, you know, it, it just, it, it, it's sitting right in the middle of a few different genres or, or like categories of genres. And 
it doesn't really doesn't try hard enough in any one direction to pull enough to make it like viable um but it's it's a it's a thing that i can still kind of have fun watching yeah I'll, I'll i'll i will give you that i i guess because it is a fairly we can both agree from a script perspective this is like not a good movie <laughs> yeah, um, <it's> not. <laughs> so it, it all comes down to the more subjective like did it entertain and to me i think Maybe it was my mood too, but I, I was pulled out so much so early on from dialogue or plot points that just didn't didn't feel congruous with the tone of the movie or what it wanted to be. And that that made it so everything I was enjoying was mostly laughing at expen at the expense of the movie. <laughs> so uh Yeah, I don't know. It would it, it was a weird movie. I feel like the trailer was so much better than the actual film. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh that is accurate. <laughs> um so yeah, sh should we get to the verdict for this then? Sure. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, Steven, if you're going to give this a must see, a reckon with a caveat, a wait for rental pass with a caveat or a must avoid, what would you give it? You know, it's no more weak, Steven. We're back, we're refreshed. I'm coming out strong giving it a must avoid. <laughs> I think there's nothing even though the actors do a good job salvaging what they can, there's just no reason to watch this movie. It, I, I, can, I can barely even remember what happened, and it's been like 48 hours since we watched it. I just cannot imagine a reason that anyone needs to go out and watch it. Yeah, I, I'm going to give it a pass with a caveat, and for me, the caveat is Anna Kendrick. <laughs> <laughs> you still don't need to see it in theaters, but um, yeah, I... I didn't I didn't hate watching it. I just it it didn't have a lot of value to it, which for me you know, <laughs> you know there's there's that bar. If you can make me not hate watching your film, then at least you did something right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry triple nine. <laughs> Uh, but speaking, I do, I do have to say this. I was, I, I, I didn't want to ruin the perfect segue. I was just going to say this has maybe like the most unnecessary John Lithgow I've ever seen. Yeah, but he's trying to help people, Stephen. He wants to help people. He saves lives. <laughs> That's sort of a not. It's a, it's an impression of the words he says, but not his voice at all. I, I can't even try to do a Lithgow. This felt like his character in How I Met Your Mother to me. <laughs> like he just stumbled stumbled off the farm or whatever, and now he's running a company, and he doesn't really know why he's there. He's just kind of like, I, I guess they hired me to, to be in a movie. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, should we move this uh, podcast along the tracks and get to the girl on the train? Mm-hmm. Was that sass I detected in your, in your response? <laughs> Sorry, I, I get night sassy. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we are going to jump into our review of Girl on the Train. So let's take a listen to the trailer and then uh, let you know what we thought. I used to watch this perfect couple. They were the embodiment of true love. I want to start my life over again. 
I saw her. I saw her from the train. She was she was with this man. Just for a second. Is this her? To a woman so Can you tell me where you were Friday night? I was in the city, and then I went to visit my husband. You mean your ex-husband? It's my understanding that the woman who has gone missing was his nanny. Hey, Tom. Hey, Megan. Rachel, why are you here? Because I'm helping find Megan. I don't think you're helping anybody. I saw your wife with someone. Megan has a therapist. Is that what you saw? happened that night in the tunnel tell me the truth i read once that when a train hits it can rip the clothes right off of you How could you, be so you were seen in the area that night How could you be so did you murder megan hipwell no Tell me what happened that night. How could you be so... Why are you here? Because I'm afraid of myself. All right, so that was the trailer for The Girl on the Train. Um, there's a girl who rides a train a lot. And uh, she likes to people watch as she rides that train. You know, she sees this this theoretically perfect couple that like to always, you know, smooch and have sex in their balcony. And uh, one day, she uh, she sees this person, you know, potentially smooching up with somebody who's not this guy that she thought was part of this per- perfect uh, perfect uh, couple. And uh, right around that time, the girl goes missing. Crazy stuff is happening. Oh my God, Stephen! Can you imagine what could be going through this person's head? Um, so basically, she has to, you know, try to figure out what's going on and uh, try not to spiral out of control as she desperately tries to figure out what happened to the girl and if she has anything to do with it. So, Stephen, did you get excited watching the girl on the train? <laughs> and, you know, there were a few scenes here and there. <laughs> Uh, I need to take a sip from my uh, water bottle full of vodka for this. <laughs> the things the girl on a train wanted to be, the things the trailer promised, it is going to be a dark, sensual look at the underbelly of the of bourgeoisie. <laughs> it's like, like, you know, Stepford Wives meets Gone Girl. Look at this perfect, idyllic couple and then look at the horror underneath all being witnessed by Emily Blunt, who is now basically ta- uh, typecast as the person who is horrified looking at things. <laughs> this is kind of her new role in life, I think, is to be staring horrified while terrible men do terrible things. Well, I think that, you know, her 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 psyche was shattered as she, like, 
had to murder all those aliens um, <laughs> in the. Uh, I think ed- it all started when uh, when she watched her husband John Krasinski in Leatherheads, and <laughs> that's when she realized, oh no, people make really <laughs> terrible stuff. I, I hated Leatherheads. Anyway, I have no idea <laughs> if they were even together back then. This might be a uh, anachronism, but yeah. So the, you know, this movie was trying to promise. Kind of similar to The Accountant, I think. The, the Accountant always looked like a more mature film to me. Like Girl on a Train, there was no denying when you watched the trailer that like this was going to be a steamy, you know, Barnes & Noble bestseller fiction type uh, mystery film. And maybe it could be elevated with great filmmaking. But like the default was going to be you know, crowd-pleasing, over-the-top, highly stylized kind of elevated trash, right? And I don't say that as a bad thing. Like, I think Gone Girl is a wonderful example of how you can perform kind of alchemy on what should be trash and turn it into a legitimately great movie. Um, But with that said, this film, it takes concepts that I feel like source material-wise this is no weaker than Gone Girl. Like, it takes plenty of interesting elements of the idea of kind of perspective shifts and an unreliable narrator and this view of kind of a a gloomy, perfect town and the way that marriage is dissolving can turn into a metaphor for, like... Sorry, the, the way metaphors for marriage is dissolving can turn into, like grisly violence and mayhem right and it's kind of trying to trying to put on screen all of these feelings of discontent that these wives in upper upper class new york are feeling um and that has plenty of potential right that can be a totally slick evocative thriller uh, where you're along for the ride and it, it could just be a whodunit or it could be a psychological psychological drama about one person questioning their own reality and instead, this movie is just a a series of completely predictable, ridiculous beats from like the the worst of pulpy literature. Like I, I don't know how else to say it. This movie is nonsense. <laughs> this is uh, Emily Blunt sitting on a train, witnessing something horrifying, being utterly shit faced like almost all the time. And having every single man that exists just be the worst possible version of humanity they can be in front of her. <laughs> yeah, like and, lit- literal monsters. And, like everyone is either having like, you know, hyper stylized shower sex or they're shouting and murdering each other. And it just, this movie is nothing. The The plot doesn't matter. Uh, there's no big reveal there's no gravitas because there's no one that you feel connected to. Like I didn't feel anchored to anyone in this movie. And I think yet again, talking about like a good actor salvaging a bad film the best they can. I think uh, Emily Blunt does a totally fine job here. Like she portrayed her character in a way that was not, she didn't make her be like sexy and dignified. Like she really dug into the idea of this kind of, miserable alcoholic woman whose life has been torn apart and she does a good job of conveying that 
as an anchor, that character just isn't that nice to be around. I, I don't know how else to say it. Like, I didn't, I never felt like, oh, I can't wait till she pieces this together. I felt like the movie was just saying, well, here's definitely what didn't happen. And we're going to fill it for 90 minutes and then tell you what did happen at the end. And there there was just no, there was no arc. There, there was nothing. It, to me, this was just a totally trashy flick, like 50 shades of Gone Girl. I, I, it, it was just dumb. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that going into the film, you know, I kind of expected, I expected to see a a shallow mystery where you kind of see where it's going the whole time and you're just kind of following the character along. Um, but I at least expected it to be a story of a, a woman who is loosely connected to a, a, a situation that's happened and like sort of a descent into madness caused by what she witnessed, right? That, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's sort of what the trailer sold me on. I, I didn't like when the film opened and like Emily Blunt is just like shit faced on the train and like crying and it, there's just this, this, and there's like weird like flashes where she like looks up and sees herself in a window and it's like it, it from the beginning, I was like, okay, this is not what I signed up for. This is some, like, our, our, our hero of the story is, is like, I'm fine with an unreliable narrator, but like the, our hero of the story is like being projected on the screen as a bad person, right? Like somebody who um, suffers a lot, can't be trusted, has done some heinous things or at least some very unstable things. And, and it's sort of like you, you're not so much rooting for her as hoping that she just doesn't do something bad. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, in general, like every single character in this film is deeply flawed and not in a compelling way, just in a like, okay, you just wrote a monster. If it's a male character, it's a monster. And if it's a female character, it, it's just like a, a very sorrow for... It's a monster sorrow. who has abuse in their background. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it's basically like all the women are sad and all the men are the incarnate of evil, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it, it's, just, it's just a thing where it's like there, there's nothing compelling. Like, there, there's no character who you want to see achieve some sort of balance in their life because there isn't a character in the film who you can hold on to and and really care about their journey it's just a bunch of bad people um and... lisa kudrow seemed nice <laughs> yeah, that's right she did too that, that her, her exist like i just laughed when, when she appeared on the train um because i was like <laughs> why why for a second i thought that was like it was just a cameo where she never even looks at the camera i'm glad she at least got speaking parts um because i was confused mm-hmm. what she was even doing there at first um but no i i, I just feel like it's such a weird sto- story where like they're trying to interconnect all these lives of all these characters in ways that aren't really important um, from the standpoint of like the entire overall narrative. But it's like, well, yeah, all these people are are interrelated. So we're just going to tell a story of, of two people, two houses away from each other and one person that like loosely connects to both of them. Right. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. it doesn't have like a really interesting, you know, uh, Guy Ritchie snatch lock stock into smoking barrels interconnected narrative. It's just one narrative that happens to contain a bunch of different characters. And the you know, even the film tries to maintain the the novel what I what I assume is the novel's chapter structure where it's like Rachel this chapter and then the other girl this chapter. And, and it's like 
it, they abandoned that after they introduced the three women and they just kind of like, like, well, we did that. So now we'll just move on to telling the actual story as a whole. And it's like, I don't, I just don't see what this film thought it was doing to keep people intrigued and interested. Like it spends too much time trying to be misdirecty when like you kind of know from the beginning, you're like, well, because we opened this way, we have to assume this. So now we're mm-hmm. just waiting for them to like, ah, didn't we trick you? And you're like, no, not really. <laughs> like, I, it, it's just a lot of weird decisions that ultimately lead to what feels sort of like a joke. Yeah. In, in a weird way, to me, both of the movies we're talking about today suffer from a very similar thing, which is they want they want to have some kind of central mystery. Like in The Accountant, maybe the mystery is more like, how did he get this way? What can people uncover about him? And in here, the mystery is who done it. Uh, but the way they just are presented doesn't lead any gravitas to it. Like there, there's no joy in the mystery of either of these films. Um, you, you mentioned with this movie that you were hoping for a kind of descent into madness where over time her grip on reality starts to uh, degrade. Uh, and instead the movie decided to just begin with her already having a loose grip on reality. And then we just kind of get to watch her do her thing. Yeah. And I I do definitely think that that is a problem with the movie. But I think even if the film had been let's start with this extremely unreliable narrator and hope that we can piece it together memento style through our flashbacks, right? Like, I feel like there are lots of ways this could have been done well. And the the key thing it failed at is making any character redeemable or compelling. And I think when you lose that, then you are really just watching style be put on screen. And that's like a really high bar for style. <laughs> and I definitely don't think this movie hit it. Yeah. And I feel like the, the author of the story is, is piling on to the, the backstory of these women, right? Like there's, there's like layers and layers of, of infidelity stacked on top of it. And like, like they're, there's no reason to make the relationship so complicated. You can have the same story with the same overall arc without having to make it so multi-layered, right? Like the, the I, I don't know. I just it just seemed it it, it just seemed like like it, it it was like a definition of like a trashy story, right? Like everyone's yeah. like cheating on everyone, and everyone's like doing their own thing and like trying to be sexy, and it like. It, it just felt like one of those things where like in the film when there's just like a weird awkward shower sex scene that seems super molesty you you're like i assume this is written so that like people reading the book think that the scene is sexy even though contextually it's not but when you put it in the movie it just seems super awkward that like mm-hmm. the one dude like the girl is just like staring out the window and then a guy just walks in the shower and starts having sex with her and she clearly is not enjoying it and it's like why am i what, what are you trying yeah. to communicate with the story and so that is one thing where I I don't want to give the movie a pass, but I'm trying when I when I watch and criticize it to keep in mind that like 
this trash is not meant for me. <laughs> and there's probably plenty of trash that is meant for me where I would not be this critical of the characters. <laughs> like, right, like it's stereotyping in a way that I don't understand. Um, and maybe there is an audience out there where this is like speaking to some wish fulfillment fantasy or revenge of like, you, you know, like, like this is clearly a book that is meant for discontent or bored housewives <laughs> to to read something and see like you know on the screen or on the page something describing how horrible life can be even when everything is going well it, it just seems like so on the nose and joyless the way it decided to do it like like gone girl also told that story but they made a a kick-ass lead basically and they they gave it real weight um and this, to me, it just felt irresponsible even. Like, I usually don't get angry at movies for the way they throw out violence or kind of the things they put their characters through. But here, like, the the character of Megan, I just feel like she exists solely so the author can pile every terrible thing imaginable on her. Terrible past tragedies in her life, <laughs> horrible relationships, tons of infidelity, spoiler related things that just like include scenes that I feel like are completely unnecessary and gratuitous and then murder her and make us watch it like over and over again in varying degrees. And I understand everything is allowed, but I feel like it when the movie isn't good, then when I see it pulling out all these like top shelf gory things just to inflict on characters that they haven't given any depth outside of suffering it just makes me mad. It just feels like cheap and lazy. Yeah, and, and I think I think the other thing too that really kind of annoyed me is when when you look at like let's let's just try to give the film the benefit of the doubt and say that this is like a very female centric story and it's a story about women trapped in relationships with bad bad men and them trying to overcome this. If you mm-hmm. wanted to say that's what the story is about, the problem is that like the women, like the entire mode, like almost 90% of the motivation of all three women characters is related to giving birth to a child, right? Their entire yeah. story is just about them and whether or not they're going to get pregnant and whether or not they want to be pregnant, right? Like that's that they're, they're reduced to that entire thing. So it's like to, to try to even s- watch this film in the context of of oppressed women taking charge and like escaping from bad men they aren't escaping into like they're <laughs> the writing itself is making them reduced to like a stereotypical view of what a woman should be doing right so it's like right. it's just it, it's it, it's it's weird that like a, like a narrative that is potentially supposed to be empowering starts with the backstory of diminishing them Yes, that is. So I, I'm wondering what it was trying to do because, like, this was a book, right? It was written for some purpose, uh, and if not empowering, well, the purpose was to sell copies and get the the author in sure, advance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so maybe maybe this is written as the sort of thing, like a a uh, soap opera type thing, where you're just supposed to read it and turn the page to be like. I cannot believe what she is going through right now. <laughs> and maybe there's nothing else, in which case it just translates really badly to a movie. <laughs> because 
yeah, I mean, you're right. All of them, all of them are unsatisfied and unhappy at the beginning of the movie. And by the end of the movie, they're unsatisfied and unhappy. And some of them are not alive anymore. (laughs) 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 And that that isn't a great, um, a great arc for the characters to go through. Yeah. The one thing I feel like maybe they were trying to do is play with this idea of unreliable narration and unreliable memory because that that comes into play in a few different ways and kind of changes throughout the movie. Um, And, you know, like the way the movie plays out, you are watching things that contradict each other. Like the camera is not telling you the truth all the time. Um, And maybe somewhere they thought that would be a fun commentary on something. And then they just like gave up halfway through and they were like, no, we, we actually don't have anything to say about that. Uh, Throw in, throw in more murder. Well, so, so, so here, here's the thing is like, have you watched any of, I mean, specifically the first season of Homeland? No, I haven't. So one of the things that's, that I thought was really compelling about that narrative is that you have, you have a character who is bipolar and has a lot of issues dealing with uh, the disorder. And she is basically buying into what most people just assume is some weird um, conspiracy theory of like a paranoid delusional person. Right. And Mm -hmm. the entire first season is dealing with the fact that like she thinks something bad is going to happen and nobody is believing her because she's, she's essentially crazy. Like everybody knows her as having these issues and doesn't trust her. Right. But Mm -hmm. she believes it. And but she also know like she is aware of the fact that she has these issues. And it's really like the entire season is like, is something bad going to happen or is is this all in her head? And you sort of it. The reason it's compelling is because it, it it's like I, I think I've talked about the show on the po- podcast in the past where it's sort of like imagine watching Sherlock Holmes, but Sherlock Holmes is bipolar and nobody believes what he's saying because they're worried that he's just a crazy person, right? Like mm-hmm. that that is what made that first season so compelling of the show is because you don't know whether to trust her and like her ideas seem sound but she also has issues and like when you see her deal with um like being inside her own head and and doubting herself, you don't know whether to trust her and assume that she's on the right correct path or to be wary of the things that she's coming up with. This film doesn't really approach that level of depth with what is going on in this character's head. It's mostly just a person who gets blackout drunk every night and then she thinks she saw something and did she really see it? Um, Mm -hmm. But like she's already established that she is a a semi-dangerous person, right? Like she's, she's dangerous to herself mostly. Like she's just somebody who needs a lot of help and like nobody is going to believe anything she thinks she saw because she is known to be just an alcoholic and like <laughs> known to pass out all the time. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's it, it just, it just, there is, it's like it's dipping its toe into something that could have been interesting, but it puts no real thought into how to make that compelling and just stays with like the bare minimum of what you can do with it. And And that's again, where I would tie it into the accountant, which I know you dislike this movie quite a bit more than you dislike the accountant. Um, but I feel like both of those are taking 
real things like mental illness in both cases. And then this one is piling on abuse and manipulation and all sorts of other stuff and doing so much of the bare minimum with it that it feels like reckless to me somehow. <laughs> like it's taking things where, oh, she's an alcoholic and she's depressed and she couldn't get pregnant. So who knows what she's capable of, right? Like the, <laughs> like the whole the whole thing is, couldn't this person be horribly dangerous and haven't we compelled you enough to like thinking that she could be? Or at best, her grip on reality is very, very, very tenuous, right? Yeah. Um, and the accountant just went full on like, <laughs> look, this person is on the spectrum and that means he can fucking kill people and not feel anything. <laughs> and like, there's just something about it to me where it feels like they, uh, like, I feel like they almost wanted to get points for tackling issues like this. And then they took it in a direction that like, if anyone with, you know, uh, forms of autism or with like depression or with alcohol problems watched them they would be like fuck this movie <laughs> yeah so, no I, uh, I, I, I agree like i don't want to read this movie that way because this movie is just like you know it's reaching for everything that can shock i don't think it's trying to be a quote important film or anything but if you do think about the the things the movie almost convinces you to believe they basically are like they're very shallow looks at all these problems. I agree. Well, must um, see verdict time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> all right, uh, Stephen, if you're going to give us a must see, I reckon over the caveat. Wait for until past the caveat or a must avoid. What would you give it? To be honest, I think I blacked out watching this movie. So I barely, <laughs> I barely remember it. So I think my answer is. Uh, pile of vomit next to my bed and some blood uh, <laughs> my, i must avoid there's no i i think maybe just in terms of sheer pulpiness i got more entertainment out of this than i did from the accountant but in terms of merit there's nothing nothing here at all and i think even what it does to entertain it like sacrifices too much of its dignity to do it <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll say that uh, if we hadn't gone out to eat before going to the theater, the best part of this movie would have been the breakfast burger that I would have gotten. <laughs> mm -hmm. But unfortunately, we did go out to eat. So this film was just kind of a waste. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a must avoid. Because it's, it's really like just go rent Gone Girl again. Because that's, that's a trash source that gets lifted to awesomeness. So it's weird to me that you don't remember that last night after the movie, you got drunk and you started shouting about how this was the best film of the year. <laughs> and I, I was trying to quiet you down and you just wouldn't, you just wouldn't have it. You just kept shouting about it. It's very embarrassing. Cost me my job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I broke your plate of deviled eggs. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to play play backup at uh, Central Park again now. Exactly. <laughs> uh, good times. Well, I think uh, I think before we overstay our welcome after returning from our long hiatus, we should probably just wrap this episode up. So, yeah. 
Mr. Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, they can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. Um, if you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get hold of us directly, you can use the contact form on our site or you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com. Um, yeah, music for this episode will come from one of the two movies that we uh, talked about in this episode so hopefully you are enjoying that um yeah i'm we, we we are back hopefully we are back at a more consistent schedule moving forward but uh oh, if yeah. you have if you have remained and subscribed to the feeds and you've been longing for an episode to come back here it is um we'll give you more in-depth full reviews in individual episodes moving forward but uh yeah, it's good to be back. Hopefully, you guys enjoy listening. Feels good. Now, please <laughs> put that baby down. I don't know which listener you took it from, but you're overstaying your welcome. Uh, yes. Have a drink, Stephen. <laughs> uh, we're going to take off, and we will see you guys later.